This podcast may contain language and subject matter that some people could find offensive. Please do not listen to this podcast if easily offended. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. In the show today, Jimmy and I will be running down the events from our recent show from Westlin, where we crowned new champions. More on that in a bit. I'm your host for the show today. If you don't know me, my name is Patrick Vincent Crown, also known as PVC. My co-host with the co-most is the one and only fellow disaster artist and the owner of Falling Star Wrestling, Mr. Jimmy Starr. So, elephant in the room, why is this podcast late? Well, it's completely my fault. Jimmy and I usually record the podcast on a Tuesday evening after the show the weekend before. However, I wasn't available on that Tuesday because I was off to a music festival to get wet and muddy in a field. I mean, I had the best time, but it means we're a little bit backed up on the podcast, so apologies. Regardless, we're here now and we're going to talk about West Lynn and then on the following episode, we're going to review the show from Walsoken. We will catch up soon, I promise. Speaking of live shows, we've got one up and coming very soon when we return to the West Lynn Sports and Social Club in Kings Lynn for Fight Night Road to Lynn Sport. That's right, we're on the way to Lynn Sport, or as the show's been called, Burning Hearts, which will take place on October 21st at Alive Lynn Sport. But before we get into that, we're taking a final pit stop in West Lynn on Saturday 16th of September at the West Lynn Sports and Social Clubs, where the Disaster Artists, aka Jimmy and I, will put up the Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team titles against Mitch Basher and Crowley, the NLP. The stipulation has been laid out. If the NLP win, they become the new Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team Champions. However, if they fail to get the job done and lose, they will disband as a tag team for a whole year. So high stakes for both teams on the 16th of September. Don't miss this one. But for now, you need to be filled in on the story of how the Disaster Artists became the Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team Champions. So, without further ado, let's jump in and chat about the August edition of Fight Night. So a couple of weeks back, we went back to the Westland Sports and Social Club for another edition of Fight Night. Now it's been a couple of weeks since that show. Jimmy, can you cast your mind back to that very evening where lots of wrestling happened and one very important thing in the Falling Star Wrestling story, we became FSW Tag Team Champions. How are you doing, Jimmy? And what do you remember from that show? Well, first off, Fiorni, I'm doing very well. And uh, yeah, it was a really good night. It was amazing. I mean, it's it's one of those things where sometimes on the actual night, you, you don't quite realise how special it is until you have a bit of a chance to reflect. As we go along and start reviewing the matches and breaking things down and breaking down why certain things were so good and why it was such a special night, we can get into a little bit more detail about it. But one thing that was hugely pleased about was the crowd. I mean, the place was absolutely rammed. The atmosphere was electric. We've been going to the West End Sports and Social Club now every month for the best part of a decade, but yet people still keep turning up. I know sometimes 50, 60, 70% fall, but that night we couldn't have crammed another person in there and they were all insane. They were all loud. They were all up for it. They all knew the storylines. They all knew the characters. They all had their favorites. They all had the people they hated. 
And in fact, we even had a little bit of uh, crowd interaction, which we'll, we'll get into when we talk about uh, the second match. But it was great. It was just electric. It was one of those nights where, you know, you turn just a hall, a little community hall in the sort of, on the outskirts of, of King's Inn, and you turn it into this, this just, it, it, it has the atmosphere of any giant hall that I've ever wrestled in. I mean, I've wrestled in front of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people. And you don't get that atmosphere that you do in an intimate room. Now, I'm not saying that tens of thousands of people don't make more noise than the hundred that we, that we had in the Western Sports and Social Club. But the intimacy of it is what makes that club special and what makes those shows special. And when it works, it's absolutely amazing. And I think that the show that we put on a couple of weeks back now, we created a really special night for a lot of people, I think. And um, there were some really good moments and some amazing lows and some low in terms of storyline but really good crowd interaction. And it was that that was what I'll take away from that night. I just it just felt electric and very personal. You know, sometimes it feels like the crowd are just cheering or booing because they should, because this is their time to cheer and their time to boo. And it's like insert cheer, insert boos. But that night they seemed to be really with it. They it was pure emotion pure adrenaline it felt like that they were fighting with us that's what you want as a wrestler you want to create storylines and you want to create matches and you want to create an environment where it almost feels like they're actually in the ring with you fighting with you and getting getting behind you and getting invested i think that's the word getting just totally invested in what we're doing it felt like we were all one big unit that night and we fucking blew the roof off the place and i just absolutely stoked with the result and even watching it back on on a single camera i could all the electricity in the room coming through on that single mobile phone i'd love to see what it's like when it's all edited together and stuff it, it would be cool but it was a great night it was a, an amazing night and obviously as we break the matches down we'll go through why but um no i thought it was really cool what, what about yourself i sort of echo your statements there um because we were in the main event obviously we came out of the beginning did a little promo went to the back and then i didn't actually get to watch many of the matches live so i had to watch it back on the tape but we could hear it as we were backstage, we could hear the people, we could hear them chanting, screaming, yelling their lungs off, and you felt it while you are in there. And the audience was so vital on that Saturday night. And it just goes to show when you've got an audience that are there, that are willing to suspend their disbelief, to invest their money, their time, and their sort of brain power to be involved in these Falling Star Wrestling storylines and believe these characters and give them, give them a bit of jip or get behind them or support them and clap and cheer. It just adds so much to the event and it just makes everything so much better. And I can't imagine what it would be like to wrestle in front of tens of thousands of people. But if it's anything like that, it must be an amazing feeling and probably quite hard to come down from, right? It's, yeah, it's just pure energy. And like you say, they they get as invested as professional wrestlers. Essentially, what we're doing is we're getting in our pants and pretending to fight. And that sounds like a very fucking stupid thing to be doing in our spare time or for a career. It's the crowd who actually put life into our characters and make sense of our storylines and give give what we do a purpose. You can wrestle in some of the biggest venues in the country and if and that can be fought with the brim with punters. But if that energy isn't there and if the crowd aren't giving anything back to you, wrestling's like pulling teeth. But when you have like a night like we did in the Western Sports and Social Club earlier this month, and you have that energy it just it gets the adrenaline coursing through your veins and it just makes everything we do worthwhile it just takes the pain away for a little while and in terms of the matches the 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 quality of of, of a lot of the matches on that show were second to none again these guys aren't coming into the western sports and social club and watching shit they're watching a professional outfit they're watching a professional show and i know that we give people from the academy a chance to get out in front of people and 
cut their teeth and learn the ropes and, and, and get in the ring and get in front of a crowd and make a start in the business. But a majority of the matches we put on are, are really good quality um, for that size venue. So the people, they're coming in, they're paying their £8, but they're getting a show, they're getting their money's worth. They're really putting into the product with their energy. Now, just that, that's one thing I'll take away from the, that fight night. It's got to be up there in one of the, in, the, in the top five of the Western shows that we've done, which you can't be matched for energy. I mean, there, there's shows that we've reviewed in the past, and I can't remember what date, but I seem to remember we had a Wesleyan not maybe a couple of three years back where we were really thin on the ground for talent and we just had to use who we had and the, the hall was packed. It was absolutely packed. But the guys who came to watch were ready to have a fucking great time. And I, it just brings out an extra gear in us. Do you know what I mean? Like if we're out there and we're getting the response that we need and they're coming along with the stories and they're getting invested in, in what we do, it makes our job so much easier. It, it just kicks us into that extra gear where we, we want to give that little bit extra. We want to perform that little bit harder. It's just so much easier to do when you've got that adrenaline coursing through your veins. And that, that show that I was just reflecting on that happened a couple of years back, that had the very that had the same feel. And I, you probably don't remember it. I think it was a show. I think I might have wrestled Robbie Lewis on it. It might be one of his first matches. And you might, I think you wrestled Ollie Cole, maybe, in yeah, one yeah. of his first matches. I remember that show, yeah. It was headlined that, by yeah. The Sound the and the NLP, wasn't it? That was it, yeah. And the, the energy there was amazing too. And I think that was maybe last summer and it was boiling hot as well. And it was fucking, we were all like dying before we even got to the ring because it was just so hot, no oxygen in the room. Similar situation, but again, because they were with it, you, you, you just got stuck in and, and did the job. Thinking about getting stuck in and doing the job, shall we review these matches? Because otherwise I'll keep pouring over the crowd and uh, yeah, we won't get any reviews done because I'll still be talking about how amazing the FSW fans are. And uh, you know, <laughs> All right, let's do it. Just Come on, Jim, let's jump on in. Yeah. 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 All I can say is to the fans, thank you very much for an amazing night. Keep coming to the shows. We promise that we'll try to keep delivering. That's all we can do. Lovely stuff. So we opened up fight night with a pre-show match. This was a junior academy match. The light up shoes of Hurricane Harrison lead the way down to the ring to face the Smiler. And this is a rematch from the last Wesleyan show. The match starts hot with the Smiler grabbing a headlock. But Harrison shoots off the Smiler and sleeps, bypasses the Smiler and then rolls up the Smiler with a schoolboy for a quick two count. The pair stare down and Harrison takes the lead this time. Smiler sleeps and bypasses and tries the same on Harrison, rolls him up for the two count. Smiler throws Harrison into the corner and works over the smaller man. Harrison is dumped on his head with a DDT by the Smiler, but Harrison won't give up just yet. Harrison gets worked over in the corner again, but as the Smiler comes in for an attack, Harrison nips out of the way and follows up with a kick, taking Smiler to the ground. The audience, they're excited by this, um, but the Smiler takes the audience down by taking a breather on the outside. So Harrison takes control and rolls in the Smiler. As Smiler comes in for the attack, Harrison performs a nifty little springboard off the bottom rope and connects with a kick very impressive by the hurricane hurricane goes for the big stomp off the second rope but smiler sees this one coming and gets back into things by working over the underdog harrison in the corner a back elbow takes harrison down smiler then sets up harrison for the scorpion death drop and it looks like it's all over trying to get the spirit of the stinger behind him goes for the scorpion death lock but harrison puts a, a boot to the face of the smiler and now the high-flying harrison tries to seal the deal by hitting a swanton off the bottom rope but 
Smiler moves out of the way just in time. Harrison gets the win, though, after taking down the Smiler with a twist of fate. Harrison celebrates in the corner. The Smiler shows Harrison respect by raising his opponent's hand. Now, Jimmy, I don't know if you had a chance with uh, what we were doing at the show, running around like headless chickens trying to organise this show. Did you get a chance to watch this little match there by the junior division? Yeah, I did. I watched this. I watched that one on camera. I didn't get a chance to watch it live, but I got a chance to hear it. And when you've been in the job for a long time, someone sometimes you can tell from just from sound, just from the listening to the crowd, how the match is going. I, like I always say, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, and, and it, the the thing that I always enjoy with these matches is it's two young lads. The the confidence they must be getting from going out there in front of all those people, getting to perform a wrestling match, something that they, they love doing at such a young age. I mean, fucking hell, can you imagine it? What did you do at school this weekend? Oh, I went to the park with my dad. What did you do at school this weekend? Oh, I kicked a football around the park. What did you do this weekend? Oh, I fucking wrestled in front of like 120 people in the social club. And like, like it's, it's just such a cool thing for people that age to be doing and get the opportunity to do in a sort of safe environment. In terms of the match, I think I actually think I preferred their last match, if I'm going to be honest. I think they tried to pack a little bit too much into this one. But I understand what they're doing. Everyone does this when they first play out. You try and squeeze pounds of shit into a 50-pound bag sometimes. And, you know, it, it's just a little bit too much. But I, I think that's something they'll learn as they go along. Sometimes it's best that less is more. Like where they got the pops, you want to keep those little spots and little deals in maybe. But just even just then, but you, you, you reeled off what they did in the match. And it was maybe, what, four or five-minute match. So there was quite a lot going on in that short amount of time. If I had to give them some advice, it would maybe just be to slow down, take some stuff out, work a little bit more on the storyline type things, work a little bit more on the strikes, work a touch more on the intensity. But that's the sort of advice I'll give to two grown men, not two kids. Do you know what I mean? I'm not trying to devalue what they're doing by calling them kids because they've got some fucking guts to be going out there in front of a room for the drunk grown adults and performing a wrestling match. So I'm not taking anything away from them. I just think the crowd enjoyed it. It's great. It gives them confidence. That's what I want mainly for the for these young people is to be able to go out there, grow in confidence, learn something that they love doing and just have something to keep them going as they grow old, something to try and achieve, something to try and work for in life. Because Harrison, eight, nine, if, if he sticks with wrestling, think how amazing he's going to be when he's 15, 16, 17. You now he's going to be ready to go on the road if that's what he chooses to do for a career. The, the, the fact that they're in the job this young and, and doing this well is amazing. So fair play to the lads. They're, they're so young and so brave. I wouldn't have had the guts to do that at their age. Yeah, it's amazing just watching those two go out there and just try to put on an entertaining show. You can see that they're starting to build up their characters. They're starting to build up a, a nice little repertoire of moves. They're trying to show out to the crowd. So whatever they're doing on a Wednesday night or a Saturday afternoon in training, in the ring, and also on the mats at the Falling Star Wrestling Academy is paying off because you can tell that they're listening. You can tell it's all being seeped into their brain, but they are doing too much. But that's fine. I think you can make mistakes when you're that young because they've got a lot of time to learn. Like people like us, Jim, if we were just getting into the business now in, in our late 30s, you don't really have that much time to make so many mistakes. So you have to get the business right. You have to get it sorted. You have to get it nailed down. But these guys, like you said, they're eight years old, 10, 11, not quite sure how old the Smiler is. He's a little bit bigger than Harrison. But these guys have just got the world in front of them if they just keep their heads down, keep showing up and keep putting that much effort in and trying to entertain the people. And that's what I think they did. They put on a fun 
cool little match. And I think the people appreciated it because they've seen them over the past, what is it, four months go out there and do these little brief matches before the show. And just the guts on them is just incredible. So yeah, hats off to Harrison, hats off to the Smiler. Big things in their future for sure. Most definitely, yeah. And, and I'll tell you this now, I obviously run the uh, classes on, on Wednesday and these lads work really hard. They work as hard as anyone else. They turn up every week. They do exactly the same as what everyone else does. It's not like I've got a little, little corner for the, for, the, for the young people to go in so they can piss about. Like They, they work hard. They, they do everything that everyone else does. And that's what I expect. And that's what they do. And like you said, the, the, you can see the result. Fair play to them. Awesome job. And it warmed the crowd up nicely for the first match. Well, before we got into the first match, we had a little bit of a promo. The main show opens with the disaster artist. We tell the audience the story of this evening's main event tonight. I mentioned that back in February, the Sound Honorary Invitational Tournament kicked off. That tournament ended with the finale in Heacham in May, but the Sound have been AWOL ever since and have been ducking the disaster artist. So George Rashwood has to show up tonight and wrestle in the tag team title match. Otherwise, the Sound will have to relinquish their tag team titles. Jimmy says that Bobby Adams needs to call, text, email or send a carrier pigeon because Rashwood isn't at the venue yet. So he's got about two hours to get there for the main event. And this was purely just for the people that maybe weren't following the story. We needed to let them know that was the story. George Rashwood hasn't shown up in weeks. He's got to show up tonight. So we gave him a bit of a countdown clock. And even though it was a bit of a smaller promo, it was maybe sort of insignificant in the whole thing. But I think it kind of set the stage for what was to come later on and I'd like to think that it helped in building up that sort of sneak attack that Rashwood did at the beginning of our match which we'll get into later on but Jimmy what did you think to this promo did we do the right thing to go out there and uh, and cut this promo until you started talking about it then I forgot we even did it Um, (laughs) I mean I think remembering back but I have a vague recollection of it of it yeah the crowd were pretty g'd up by it weren't they that's the point tell them to hang around for the main event because you're gonna see you're gonna either see a title match or a title change it just reiterates the story for people maybe people who haven't been paying too much attention or it might have missed they might have missed certain bits or they might not follow us on facebook we can't assume that everyone knows what we get what we're doing in there we might have a couple of stray punters that walk in from a house down the road who've never ever seen fullness star before we want to make sure that everyone's included so no, I don't think we made a mistake. It was only like a what minute, two minute promo, if that, just to get the energy up. And I think we knew that it was an in and out job and said what we needed to say, and fucked off and then G'd up for the people were ready for the first match. I don't remember us stumbling over any words. I seem to remember people being loud. So yeah, all in all, I don't think we made a mistake. It was, I don't think you really can make a mistake really when you do stuff like that. Unless we would have gone out there and totally balls the promo up and started splattering over our words or or said something totally obscene. I don't think we really could have balls it up. It was what it was. It was fine. And, and it just got everyone in on the story and up to date with what was happening on that night, which is never a bad thing. Precisely. That's exactly what it was for. Bish, bash, bosh, in and out. Then we went on to match number one. First to come down to the ring is Falling Star Wrestling long stay Mitch Basher, who is accompanied by his partner in the NLP, Crowley. Basher faces a fresh face in the Falling Star Wrestling ring this evening as he stands off against newcomer Ryan Curran. The audience show their displeasure for Curran by chanting, go back to Essex. I, I kind of feel like 
Samuel Bloody Wakefield has forever tainted anyone coming from Essex right about now. But Curran, he doesn't seem phased though. He takes it in his stride. And initially, Crowley looks like he's ready to fight. He doesn't seem to realise that this isn't a tag team match. So Mitch Basher has to grab a chair for Crowley, sits him down, tells him to watch the ma match with the fans. Great little moment there. Basher then tells Curran that he's in the home of the NLP and that is Norfolk. The referee finishes his checks and the match kicks off. Curran takes off his chain and Pi faces Basher and the match starts with a bang. Mitch Basher takes Curran to the corner and delivers the 10 heads. The crowd chant one more time. So that's 20 heads we've had and we've only just got cracking in this match. Curran switches the corner whip and elbows Mitch Basher, but Basher rushes after him in the opposite corner, smashes him in the corner and nails an atomic drop. But the follow-up knee doesn't connect and Curran lands a lovely running elbow drop. Basher tries to rally, but is taken down with a rake of the eyes. A random phone starts to chime in the Westland Sports and Social Club and Curran tells the audience member to turn their bloody phone off. More running elbow drops rain down on Basher, but they're not enough to keep the leader of the NLP down for the three count. Curran goes from corner to corner, but Basher lifts up an elbow at the last minute. Mitch hops up onto the second, attempts a clothesline off the top, but Curran evades and then drops the knee pad and nails Basher with the shining wizard to the back of the head. Mitch Basher looks dazed, but kicks out at two. A little bit of awkwardness happens, but eventually the pair get back on track and Curran nails a jumping flatliner for a nice falsy there. This still isn't enough to keep Basher down for the count. The pair then have the exact same idea and both clatter into one another in the middle of the ring with clotheslines and the referee begins his count. Basher gets his second wind, takes down Ryan with repeated clotheslines, then Curran is sent into the corner. Basher rushes in with a back elbow, leaps overhead with a Pele kick and rocks Curran, but Curran kicks out. A little bit of back and forth trading and they try to set up their finishes, but this leads to Basher catching the leg for a possible go to sleep. Basher hooks in the sister Abigail and slams Curran onto his face and picks up the win in this opening contest. And from my perspective, for a first match on the card and a first meeting between Mitch and Ryan, I thought they did incredibly well together. Uh, Ryan really impressed me with this crowd work early on and in the match as well throughout the heat. I think he very quickly understood what the job was at hand and I thought he did it to a very high level. And I think as well, in, in my personal opinion, I think Ryan Curran took the lead from Mitch Basher in terms of how to deal with that really hot crowd. Like Basher is very on top of things with his crowd work and especially early on. And I think Ryan may have, maybe have looked across and gone, okay, this is the type of match we're going to have. We're not going to go out there and actually brutalize each other. We're going to go out there and have a good time with the audience. It's, it's easy to look through some of the bits that probably didn't work for the match. Both guys knew that the, the communication probably wasn't 100% there, but I thought it made it look like a struggle and that was fine. It's a fight. You just grab a hold. If something doesn't quite go to plan, you slow it down, you talk through it. They did on a few occasions, but to me as a trained wrestler, I spotted it, but I'm pretty sure the audience would not have even known. So well recovered. Uh, I thought Curran during the heat, I thought he was perfect from my perspective. He was going up against somebody who is a larger man in Mitch Basher. Basher doesn't need to be bumped around and slammed and stuff like that. So Curran just worked him over with strikes and when the chance arose. He dropped those lovely running elbow drops. I thought they looked really good, but then he let Mitch Basher sell, which is great. While sort of Ryan looked out to the audience, interacted with them, which is great. I love the bit with the ringtone. I think that really shows that somebody is listening to the crowd and reacting to what's going on rather than just kind of going into your own mind and going through those set of spots that are pre-planned and things like that. He was clearly thinking about the audience, engaging with them, engaging how the audience is taking him. And that was cool. And 
both Ryan Curran and Taylor James, who we'll, who we'll talk about later on today. I, th- I think Ryan really lucked out by having this opening match with Mitch Basher because there was a very clear, very defined sort of heel baby face match. And I thought that worked out really well for Ryan Curran. And we'll discuss later how this may not have favoured Taylor James later on. But aside from a few small miscommunications, the one at the start, the one with the flatliner, I thought there was nothing to grumble about. It set the stage for the rest of the show. And the match went by quite quickly as well, which is great because as much as this show was hot, it did run a little bit long, didn't it, Jim? It did run a little bit long, but I don't think that was necessarily down to the show. And we'll, I'll explain a little bit more about that later. You, you know how I like to start shows. Cowboys and Indians, big heel, big baby face, lots of crowd interaction. I don't care about moves, slams, whatever. I just care about story. Ryan Curran hasn't been wrestling very long. I think he's been wrestling for around, around about 18 months. That's a stab in the dark, maybe. And if, if he has been wrestling for 18 months, he's exceptionally good. He's a young lad. I don't even think he's 20 yet. He, he's got a good gimmick. He looks good. And it's not like he's jacked up muscly or anything like that, but he's just got a good look. Like He looks like he, he, he can have a route which is important, really. And, but, but so does Mitch Basher. It was also a bit of a test as well because Mitch predominantly wrestles in tags. I know he knows what he's doing in singles, but also he's pretty much wrestled heel for most of his career, so he's always been the bad guy. And this was a test for him. Can you go on first as a good guy and make that crowd love you? And he did. They were really behind him. They absolutely loved him. The story was very simple. Shine, heat, shine, go home. Nothing wrong with that, especially for an opener. You know, as well as I do, how important that opening match is. It sets the tone. It's probably the second most important match of the night. And it was a big test for Mitch. And I, I, I knew he'd do it because I know, I know how talented he is. He led the match. Ryan let him lead the match, which was smart. Mitch is more experienced. Mitch knows the crowd, knows the area, knows the venue, has an established character. I think Ryan left that building as someone who could quite happily come back and just just slot in where it left off and develop on that character. I think people are very aware of what Ryan's character is now, who he is, what he's about. And that's an amazing achievement to do in like eight to 10 minutes of wrestling. Really good professional match. I think the only thing that I would give a bit of feedback from on Ryan's perspective was got this like, I don't know, solo Sokoa cross with Taz type sort of feel to him. And I think that, again, it's just experience. I think that when he's thinking about what's coming next or when he's unsure about what's coming or he's trying to remember a spot or in the middle of transitioning from one thing to the other, he forgets his character a bit. His strikes were looking a bit weak at some point. And I don't know whether that was just because he hasn't worked on his strikes that much or because he was thinking of what's coming next. You know what it's like when you first start out, you just don't want to fuck up. You just don't want to fuck up. So you're constantly thinking about, oh shit, like, you know, what's the next spot sleep leap blah and then you throw these weak looking strikes because you're preoccupied with what's coming next whereas after a while of wrestling after a few years you, you you're more in the moment it's like right let's do this let's do this bit well and then we'll worry about the next bit a bit later on i think that that but that's not something that um, again i'm not shitting on ryan for that I'm just saying that's about where he is he can put on a very competent match he can be led he can do what he's told and he can do it well after the match, he was asking a lot of people what their feedback was. He was trying to get information, which really impressed me because a lot of people don't. They come backstage and they'll have a chat with the person they wrestle, get some feedback and sort of just sit around backstage and scratch their nuts. But he wasn't doing that. He, he, he came out. He asked everyone, did you watch it? What did you think? He asked me. He asked everyone else who would part of this. And, 
And then you watch the rest of the matches and he was making sort of mental notes and he wants to learn. He knows that he's probably one of the sort of newer guys on the card. So he's trying to soak in information. And I really, I think that's great. And the guys who are there and who do want to learn and who do want to get some feedback, that's the way to do it. You have to ask. Unless he does something really bad where I think he might hurt someone or hurt himself, I'm not going to go up to him and give him a full breakdown of the match. But if he comes up to me and asks for my opinion, I'm going to tell him because my my years of experience in the job, are, 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 I haven't got years of experience in anything other than wrestling, so I can at least try and help him. So if he comes up and asks me, I'll tell him, but I'm not going to sort him out and find him. So he really impressed me with this whole attitude, really. Really nice guy and did exactly what he was not told to do, but he did exactly what he should have done. And that was turned up, listened, did his job to a, a competent level and yeah, established his character and was decent and respectful and asked everyone's opinion and stayed till the end. And he stuck in my mind. He's someone that I'd use again because he stuck in my mind, not just his in-ring work, but how he was as a human being outside of the ring, which is always important because you, you don't want to feel he's wrestling remote with people who don't fit in well with the... He has fallen star wrestling and he definitely fits in. He was a good lad. I liked him. Yeah, it's a package, isn't it? When you go to a wrestling show, you are kind of on from the moment you get there. You're speaking to the promoter. You're speaking to the other wrestlers. You're pitching in. You're trying to sort out your match. You're trying to kind of organise your music whilst also trying to make connections and make sure that you're doing things in the right way. And from my perspective, he did all things in the right way, very respectful, came up, seemed keen. Like you said, he was asking for opinions and thoughts on the match and he was happy to sit there and chat to the boys backstage and things like that. And that's a nice person that you want to have backstage. Didn't come across as arrogant or anything like that. So I was very impressed with his in-ring work and yeah, impressed with his out-ring work as well. Yeah, I think you're impressed with his ring piece work as well, weren't you? I told you that in secret, Jimmy. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Let's move on. Your mum's yeah. listening. <laughs> match number two. We had a six-man tag team match. Sean Stone, Robbie Lewis with Samuel Bloody Wakefield and Andy Stone versus Alex Miller, Reggie Leonard and Crowley. So the good guys come down to the ring, paraded by their manager, Wakefield, high-fiving fans and smiling trying to show the audience that they have changed their ways. The WWE Wakefield Wrestling Empire seem to have enlisted the help from the son of Sean Stone. That's the usual referee, Andy Stone. Samuel Wakefield grabs the mic and is rather complimentary about the people of West Lynn and the county of Norfolk itself. Very odd. He even says that he loves each and every one of them. Wakefield explains that Sutton St. James, the three of the WWE came out and this caused the audience to erupt in chance of batty boy not very pc but we'll allow it samuel tries to backtrack and explain tonight there'll be no cheating and wwe will win the match on their merit alone if there's anyone in the back that feels like they've been wronged by the empire now is their chance to come out and face them the team of alex miller and reggie leonard come out to face the empire of course miller with a lot of beef with the empire and sean stone more importantly miller and 
and Leonard have some serious backup tonight. Someone that really does not like the Empire, and that is the Swamp Beast Crowley. He's, uh, we saw him earlier ready to fight in the last match, but this time he's actually going to be let loose. Mitch Basher accompanies his partner and introduces him as such. Miller and Leonard couldn't have picked a better partner, in my opinion. The match starts with Miller going one-on-one -on -one with Stone. That's Sean Stone. The referee rings the bell and Sean Stone offers a handshake. Miller does not want to shake it, but Stone insists and the pair shake hands. Wakefield shouts, yay, good guys. Stone takes Miller to the corner. Clean break. Stone grabs a hammerlock and Miller grabs the ropes. Clean break again. WWE are keeping their word so far. They are indeed being good boys. Stone grabs the wrist lock. Miller rolls through, grabs one of his own. Stone reverses again. Miller reverses again. All the while, Wakefield is cheerleading on the outside. Stone with a headlock takeover. Miller grabs the head with the legs, but Stone counters and uh, takes control of the head of Alex Miller. Miller replies with a headlock takeover and the pair roll around for a little bit longer. Stone having to stop his temptation to grab the hair because he's a good guy, remember? As Stone takes counsel with Wakefield, Miller lands a drop kick on Stone and then Robbie Lewis is tagged in. He has no interest in Miller and calls for Reggie Leonard. The two bump into each other for a bit until finally Finally, Robbie Lewis is tackled to the ground. In comes Crowley. At the same time, Andy Stone is tagged in unexpectedly. Andy tries to get out of Dodge real quick, but his buddies in the Empire decide to have a little consultation on the outside, leaving the little Stone on the inside with a bigger, stinkier, and much nastier Crowley. Stone ducks the line, tries to work the back of Crowley, but it's like a hummingbird pecking a rhino. The rhino, of course, being Crowley. Stone hops up onto the second, leaps onto the back of Crowley, the Swamp Beast overpowers young Andy Stone and sets him up for the running knee shiver, but luckily Father Stone pulls Andy to safety. Miller enters the fray, but the distraction takes Miller's eye away from Robbie Lewis, who just clatters Miller in the back, destroying any chances of Miller getting ahead in this match. The father and son team work over Alex Miller in the corner. Reggie is knocked off the apron and in the melee, Miller hits a jawbreaker, but Crowley is distracted by Wakefield and Basher on the outside. Miller tries to get the tag to one of his partners, but there's nobody there. Miller has to go it alone for the time being. Miller blocks a suplex from Stone, lands one of his own. Miller gets to Crowley, who comes into the ring and cleans house. Lines for both Empire members. Lewis is sent from corner to corner into Stone as Robbie slumps in the corner. Uh, he is cannonballed by Crowley. Sean Stone manages to make a tag to Andy Stone and encourages Andy Andy to take on the Swamp Beast, but this encouragement looked a little bit more like a push and Andy Stone just so happened to run right into the arms of Crowley, who lands a giant deep six spinning back suplex stone, tries to make up for it by putting his son in the fire line by hitting a stroke on Crowley, but the Beast switches that into a spine buster, shattering Stone's back, neck and hips. Somehow Stone kicks out. Leonard is tagged into the match, but on the outside, Basher and Lewis are arguing about something, so Crowley has heads out to defend his partner. Miller spots the commotion and dives off the second rope to the outside with a diving crossbody. Meanwhile, Leonard is trying to finish off Sean Stone in the center, but Stone rakes the eyes. The referee is distracted by what's going on outside and he doesn't spot the briefcase being slipped into the ring. Sean Stone takes his chance and smashes the case over Reggie's head and Sean Stone picks up the win for the Empire. Now, Jimmy, before I give my thoughts, I'll fire it over to you first. What did you think to the six-man tag? Well, we could talk about this match all night, I think, in terms of picking things that, that that people may have been able to do a little bit better, may have been able to change. And in terms of technically, 
how it could have been improved. I can save that information for when I actually bump into him individually. Because if I was to run through everything that technically didn't quite go to plan in this match, then I'll be doing a bit of a disservice because it was actually really good fun. Like the crowd were with it. I thought Samuel did some of his best promo work. He was doing that sort of shitty and grin, cowardly, like heel thing. Everyone knew he was lying, but still he's that deny till you die type character who you know who's lying straight at your face and will say no i didn't do it when he's blatantly like in front of your face doing something horrible he's getting it down to a t and it's really good to see an actual decent manager for a change i'm putting him over a bit but i think he's doing really well every time he comes out his promos seem to be getting better his diction the words he chooses he's not stumbling over his words he doesn't seem so nervous the promos seem more organic which is great I think that that probably what could have happened, maybe the match seemed to go quite long, but actually looking at it, it didn't really, bearing in mind the amount of people that have to come out, the amount of people that with with the promo and all that sort of stuff, I think they did about 15 minutes from entrance to them going back, which is fine, really. The first match went went about eight to ten. They had the time, and it did seem like the crowd were getting bored. They did normal thing, shine, heat, shine. You can't fail with that if you keep it simple. They 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 didn't try and go too overtly difficult with it. Um, the one major bit of actual feedback I'll give, in terms of like a, a sort of glaring, obvious sort of mistake which sort of needs to be ironed out, is just to Reggie really like if you get fucked over the head with a briefcase and that's a finish, don't get straight up afterwards and look like nothing's happened to you. Do you know what I mean? He got smashed over the head with a briefcase, took the finish. And then 10 seconds later, he was up and he looked like he was virtually doing star jumps outside the ring. So just little bits like that. And that's not me, again, that's not me digging at him. It's just, you've just lost a match for your team because you've just been smashed over the head with a foreign object or an international object or whatever they call it these days. (laughs) And you've lost a match for your team. But all of a sudden, afterwards, you roll out the ring and you're doing cartwheels around the fucker. It just doesn't quite make sense psychologically. But also, we had a bit of fan interaction. Someone, one of the fans, tried to actually physically get up and actually kill Wakefield, which is always amusing. There was a run-in from Jimmy Starr on, in that match because I had to run and get the fan and tell him to sit the fuck down. Please don't kill our manager. Like, this is pretend. But what, it was nice to see that Wakefield annoyed someone enough to, to try and genuinely get him so wound up that they wanted to beat him, which is fun. Uh, you got some real heat there. But it was, yeah, it was just fun. There were some good bits in it. There were some bits that I'd take out. There were some bits that weren't necessary, but it had the feel. It had the story. Crowley was awesome in this match because essentially he's working with guys who aren't that experienced and he's one of six, but he was really ringlead in this match from the apron. He was getting the crowd involved, huge amounts of crowd interaction. He was constantly doing some great apron work. He came back, he gave an awesome sort of hot tag, fired everyone up. Obviously he was really in control of the in-ring stuff and I think that he probably pieced a lot of this together backstage I don't know that for certain but I'm guessing he did and he did a really good job he looked like he was in his element really in a way he he looked like he actually enjoyed it I don't know whether he did or not he never admits to enjoying anything so I don't know but he seemed to enjoy that seemed to enjoy the task at hand took it as a bit of a challenge it wasn't a match that was originally set I think I I had Andy Stone against Crowley and then the rest in a tag match but it actually worked well. And I thought that it was really good fun. And I saw some decent improvement from a lot of the guys in there, um, most of whom were pretty green out or hadn't been in the business for that long. And I also saw some really good sort of ring general work from, from Crowley himself. But yeah, I mean, I've, I actually genuinely thought it was fun and it didn't look out of place on a show and it was different. Technically, 
could we sit here and technically take it apart? Of course we could, but we ain't got all night. We could actually do that with every match we've ever watched ever, really, because wrestling is subjective. You've just got to look at what, how the crowd interacted with it and the crowd enjoyed it. And that's all I care about. And they did their job, I thought, and they did it well. But bearing in mind the amount of experience that was in that ring, it could have gone a hell of a lot, a hell of a lot worse. Yeah, even though it sort of wasn't billed as one, it was essentially an academy tag team match with kind of Crowley on the face side lending his guiding hand. That's the way the match planned out. And Westland shows, these fight night shows, they are... They're a cheaper event. They do have academy matches on them. They're there for people to get experience. When we talk about these types of matches, any criticism that we give, we're not trying to be harsh. We're just trying to give people a few things to learn from. From my perspective, I thought the promo was good. It was probably necessary, but I think maybe it could have been shorter, maybe a bit more concise. Uh, It got over the story of the WWE trying to be good guys, but I don't think I ever really knew why Andy Stone was part of the team. And I don't think that really matters that much, but I suppose if you're going to do a promo, it might be worth adding it to the story. But again, minor gripe. I think the major thing that was wrong with the match, and there wasn't a lot wrong with the match. I think it was just timing for for a match with six people in it, three people on the other side, and then two managers on the outside, plus a promo. I just thought maybe it could have moved a little bit quicker, in my opinion. Like, I understand each and every decision that was made in the match and all of those decisions seemed to make sense. I just think it was maybe a case of trimming here, a little snipping there, a few elements removed, maybe tightened up. And I think it could have been a nice little thing there. Like I thought the start between Miller and Stone, it was good to establish this whole kind of good guy element of the WWE, but it just went on a little bit too long for me. And and the promo was there to do that same thing anyway. So you were kind of doubling up. You could have had Stone go in for the handshake. Miller's apprehensive. Stone shakes the hand. Lock up. Miller gets to the ropes. Stone breaks clean. I think that's all you needed. They went a little bit back and forth with this and trying to kind of really drill into that idea. Like, we are good guys. We are good guys. We are good guys. It was like, you need to do it once. You've had the promo. And then boom, bish bash bosh. You've got Miller getting over with the fancy moves and stuff. And then you get the the kind of the anger and the aggression from the WWE thereafter. I did like the introduction of Andy Stone into this mix. I thought it was cool. Obviously, he's got a lot more way to go with his training, but I think he'll get there. But I thought the spots that were laid out for him actually worked. He kind of looked like this sort of annoying little gnat, annoying Crowley, uh, but he looked nervous, inexperienced, which he was. That's what he's meant to do because you would be nervous if you are inexperienced going up against the Swamp Beast Crowley. Like, even I get nervous going up against that guy. Have you looked at him? He's crazy and he's massive and he smells and he'll he'll beat you up and stuff like that. So that kind of nervousness was probably genuine, but I think it worked for his character. And I thought Reggie did all right as well with what he was given. Another trainee who just needs a bit more training and more experience. The, the stuff he did with Robbie at the beginning was nice. It, it probably just needed to be paced a little bit better. And I think Reggie just needs to convince himself that he is a wrestler and to move like a wrestler. And then when he convinces himself that he's a wrestler, I think other people will take him a bit more serious as a wrestler. But when you've had less than, I don't know, less than five matches, maybe, and they've mostly been in multiple tag team matches, it's it's a very difficult thing to get your head around that. So a lot more learning to do. It's He's, he's going there. He's, he's getting the training in. And who, who knows what he's going to be like in, in a year's time. Just a little bit for, for Reggie. You've got the ropes there. 
bounce off of them, get some extra momentum, really use them. Don't just scoot backwards and then run at Robbie and attack him. Like attack those ropes, like look at the ropes, head for them, spring off the ropes. That's going to give you a real bit of bounce. And then you're going to really look convincing, knocking big Robbie Lewis off of his feet, but tiny little things that could be tidied up. It's nothing major. And I quite like the little sort of miniature story of like father and son with Andy and Sean Stone. Uh, I like that bit when Sean Stone threw Andy to the wolves a little bit. I thought that was kind of entertaining. Just subtle little things that I think were quite smart with these guys. And I think with those two really big, exuberant characters on the outside, i.e. Mitch Basher and Samuel Wakefield, I think you've got to be careful not to overwhelm the guys that are in the match like they are in the match. Like Mitch Bash has already had his time in the ring. Samuel Wakefield's had his time in the ring. He had his promo. He's a manager. I think they just took a little bit too much kind of presence away from what was happening in the ring. And that's not always a bad thing, but I think for this opportunity that these guys had I think it would have been nice to be looking in the ring rather than following Mitch Basher around the ring because whatever Mitch Basher does he's just very entertaining of course Wakefield as well he's so annoying but he's also entertaining you just don't want him to steal the spotlight too much and then finally I thought the finish was decent enough it worked for the story the crowd got what was going on so I think that's always good but the match for me was just a touch long I think it could have moved quicker with the timings and stuff like that small elements tweaked could have had a good little match here. Yeah, nothing to grumble about, Jim. No, it wasn't out of place on the show. And like you say, all that feedback that you gave is is fair game, fair cop, and there's something that people can learn from. I think one thing I'll add just before we move on, because we don't want to spend too much time on all these matches, especially for a lot of the younger guys who, who are coming up, is like, always think of the logic of what you're doing. If you were to get hit with a case, suitcase over the edge really hard in real life, how would that make you feel? How would you react? In real life, if someone punched you straight in the face or kicked you in the balls or picked you up and slammed you on the floor, floor, how would that make you feel and how would you react and where would it hurt on your body and stuff like that? And if you think a little bit more logically about what's going on in that in the ring, then it's so much easier to sell and work with what you've got. I know nerves play a big part in wrestling, so you tend to rush when you first start. But just logically try and put together, right, I'm in the ring. There's a bloke over there who's twice as big as me. He's just picked me up and thrown me on the fucking ground. He's now just got on the top rope and jumped on my face. If that happened in real life, what would be the outcome of it? Probably be dead, right? So I can't say it like that. I'd definitely be hurt. Where would I be hurt? Well, he's just jumped on my face. So chances are my face might hurt. My nose might hurt. My fucking eyes might be bleeding. Whatever the deal is like, you need to introduce that element of logic into your work and into your selling. And if you can do that, suddenly selling doesn't become this sort of enigma of, oh, how do I do it so it's going to work and get maximum effect? Don't worry about that until you're a few years down the line. Just work, think about logically what's going to hurt and how would I how would I react to this if this was going to happen in real life? And then the actual selling part and the sympathy part will come as your storytelling and acting ability and, and just general confidence gets better. But in the early stages, right, if I got punched in the face, what would hurt? Right, let me sell that and see how it goes. And I think that's one of the best bits of advice I got when I was starting out in this business. Just think, sometimes think, and I wrestling's illogical, I know that we work on wrestling logic and wrestling psychology, which doesn't always work in the real world. But if you can introduce an actual, an actual bit of real life logic into your selling and into your work and into what you're doing, it helps so much in terms of guidance of, okay, where do I go from here? A bit of a tip for the guys as well. But you just get into that element of someone who's been doing it for a while, coaching, verbally coaching guys who haven't been doing it for a long time. And you can get into this whole 
messy ethos of, of the, the psychology of wrestling and everyone's got different opinions and whatnot. The fact is they all went out there, six guys, and pulled off at a fun, entertaining match. If it was a bit long, if it was a bit long, if it was a bit scrappy, it was a bit scrappy, but they did the job. Proud of them. Brilliant. Good shit. Cool. Match number three, we have Ollie Cole versus the Dark Wolf, Matt Walters. Ollie pops his head into the Westland Sports and Social Club and is looking to get some respect from the Dark Wolf, Matt Walters. We've seen this occur over the last three shows with the outcome always being the same. Ollie asking for respect and Matt replying with a slap to the face and beating him up in the middle of the ring. Dark Wolf looks cool, calm, collected, whereas Ollie looks ready for a tough test ahead. The bell rings and the Dark Wolf asks the audience, if you seriously think this geek can win against me, and the crowd reply, yes. The pair come nose to nose in the centre. Ollie doesn't say a word but stares the Dark Wolf down as Matt is saying some very choice words to Ollie. We can't quite make out what they are, but I'm sure they're less than complimentary. Ollie just looks at Matt and again, offers the hand. Ollie wants respect and needs that respect from Matt. The Dark Wolf just waves him away dismissively. The bell rings, the pair circle. Matt uses his specialist wrestling skills to just take down Ollie from the waist lock. Matt then grabs a full Nelson, spins into the snapmare and then kicks Ollie's spine. This causes Ollie to rage up a little bit and Ollie grabs the head and gives as good as he got from Matt. Ollie now looks to try and take advantage of the stunned Dark Wolf raining lefts and rights onto the back of the Dark Wolf, but Matt just overpowers Ollie and shoves him into the opposite corner. Matt hoists Ollie up for the finish, but Ollie floats down the back and nails a beautiful Inzaguri, rocking the Dark Wolf and taking him by surprise. A high crossbody takes Matt down again, but Matt kicks out before the three count. You can see that Matt is getting visibly annoyed here, and he just takes Ollie's head off from behind. And this is where the Dark Wolf will consistently take Ollie apart piece by piece. Ollie was looking good at the start, but we're starting to see the same old story being told again. The audience trying to annoy the Dark Wolf into making a mistake, but he just looks at them dead in the eyes and delivers a gigantic, hard and loud knife edge chop, which just about caved in the chest of Ollie Cole. Ouch. The second chop that Matt delivers probably hurts Matt's hand as much as it did Ollie's chest, but this just riles up the youngster who tries to come back with a few chops of his own, but then he's taken a few and he's given a few as well. With a bit of energy about him, Ollie charges in, but Matt cleanly takes off Ollie's head with a leaping clothesline. Suplex by Matt. Ollie kicks out. Same old story playing again. Ollie gets a few shots in, but the Dark Wolf drop kicks Ollie's head off. Ollie needs to try a different tactic. Otherwise, we're going to see Ollie fall victim again. This time, Ollie lands on his feet from the back suplex, gets a quick shot, uh, but the charge towards Matt results in Ollie falling to the outside. Matt lights up the chest of Ollie and then finishes off that back suplex, but this time he lands the back of Ollie on the side of the ring. Matt rolls into the ring and just lays down, hoping that Ollie won't be able to make it back into the ring before the count of 10. The ref gets to eight, he gets to nine, and Ollie desperately dives back into the wolf's den. Matt sees this as a sign of disrespect and begins to berate Ollie, slapping him around the face. But Ollie lands a nice, stiff, clean slap to Matt, and you can even see the spit fly out of the mouth of the Dark Wolf. Ollie is down, but he's certainly not out. Ollie's got his second win now. A few flying clotheslines take Matt down. This is followed by a swinging head scissor takedown. Ollie leaps his body weight into a front drop kick, which crashes Matt into the corner. A flying crossbody still isn't enough to keep Matt down for the three. 
So Ollie goes for the kill. First, the 619 stuns Matt. This is followed by the lightning spin kick. The referee goes down for the count. One, two, two and nine tenths. It was so close, but it wasn't meant to be. Ollie goes to the well one more time. Lightning spin kick, but Matt ducks out of the way. This time, Ollie turns around and is smashed with a sky high power bomb. Thankfully for the fans, Ollie kicks out just in time. Matt is just screaming at Ollie at this stage. The poor boy looks like he's had enough. So Matt hits the underhook face buster with the head kick and then up onto the shoulders for the Death Valley driver. But they don't call him lightning for no reason. As quick as the flash, Ollie slips down the back and rolls up the Dark Wolf and scores the pinfall win. The audience erupt in cheers and screaming and even crying. They cannot believe that Ollie did the unthinkable and beat Matt Walters in the middle of the ring. Come to think of it, Matt can't believe it either. He's pleading with the referee saying that it was not a three count. And then when it looks like Matt is going to take all of his rage, temper and ill feelings out towards Ollie after the match, Matt grabs Ollie, stares deep into his eyes and shakes his hand. The thing that Ollie's been fighting for all of this time, he's finally got respect by Matt Walters. That is no mean feat by any stretch. Matt doesn't give out endorsements to anyone. So clearly, Ollie earned that from Matt. And I thought this is a great way to finish off this little story between Matt and Ollie. I thought it was perfect. The match structure, the finish, even the little deal at the end with the handshake, I thought was brilliant. I thought this was a perfect example of trust the process. Matt took Ollie and walked him through quite a simple, basic, but very easy to grasp story and took the audience along with him as well. And it just worked. It was great. Some people might say that when Ollie first steps inside the ring with Matt Outwell, Matt decimated him. That would kind of hurt Ollie in the long run. But to be fair, I reckon most people have completely forgotten about that show, mainly because nobody turned up really, but I digress. But what they will remember is the guts, determination, and just balls from Ollie to take that beating, get right back up, and earn the respect from one of Falling Star Wrestling's greatest in-ring performance. And this was kind of a nice little welcome to the business kid for Ollie too, because he's had to endure some licks in all of these four matches with Matt. Matt doesn't hold back with those chops and strikes and moves. So I think this will lead Ollie to be in a better worker, hopefully, and have him not be afraid to, to lay them in a little bit when the time calls for it. And if you've listened to any of our previous episodes where we've talked about Matt and this whole Matt and Ollie saga, you kind of know pretty much how the match went in terms of the moves and stuff. But what this match did was pay off all of that hard work the man I have put in over the last two or three months in a way that the audience they could not believe that Ollie got the upset win at the end. The reaction was amazing. You could see people jump out of their seats. You could see the joy on their faces. You could hear them scream when Ollie finally did it. And that in wrestling is worth all of the hard work and sacrifice to get that monster reaction. And you, you can tell that Ollie was led throughout the series by Matt. And I just hope that Ollie's going to take in and soak in all of these tips and advice that he's been given by Matt into his next series of matches, whatever that may be. You know, and if there's something I'm sure you and Matt would want Ollie to take away, it would be that less is always more. And also just how imperative it is and vital um, selling 
is as a baby face. Like it's cool to get the moves where people go, ooh and ah, but like selling and story and the roller coaster ride that you can take an audience on was the reason that this got a massive pop on the win. Like that's not just a lesson to Ollie, that's a lesson to everyone, young, old, veteran, trainee. I think we can all learn from this. Less is more and you get that giant reaction if you tell the story correctly. Jimmy Starr, your thoughts, please, mate. Yeah, I mean, Matt saw something in Ollie a few months back and decided that he was going to make it his mission to take Ollie and turn him into a valued commodity in Falling Star Wrestling. We couldn't sit there for a year and book Ollie, and he wouldn't mean a fraction of what he does now based on working with Matt, like you say, trusting the process learning, listening, slowing down, actually just, it, it's a, such a simple story. And the underdog story is such an easy one to tell. And it always hooks people in. It always gets them, like, like I say, hook, line and sinker. Everyone loves an underdog and everyone hates a bully. Matt's played the bully so well. The thing about Matt is he's one of those heels who is everything he says he is. He's fucking, he's tough. He looks amazing, looks like an athlete. He's an amazing wrestler. He's been doing it for donkey's years, so he's got experience. He's fucking good looking. He's everything. Everything that he says he is, he actually is, and he can back it up. For Ollie to be able to get in the ring with him, have this simple storyline, but such an effective storyline that builds and builds, and then it doesn't build to a match. It builds to a moment, and wrestling is built on moments. Anytime we think of wrestling, we don't think of a match. We think of a moment in the match and what makes it so cool. And the more a moment in the storyline that makes it so cool or a particular promo or a particular sentence or whatever. This is why Matt's so smart. He knew that the moment that was going to make Ollie was when he slipped down his back, rolled him up and Matt slipped him over. Because up until that point, he'd been beating the shit out of him. That doesn't do any harm to Matt. He's wrestled Ollie three, four times. He's beat him every time. He gets to the fourth match and Ollie just beats it. He gets Ollie gets beaten and he takes it and he takes it, but he won't lay down. He just refuses. He takes a beating and takes a beating. And everyone's and Ollie's a naturally good seller. You can't teach that. Ollie is a very good seller. And this is before he's even had 50, 60 matches. He has got that natural ability for the sell. So that moment when he hangs on long enough just to see an opening to quickly slide down Max back and get that schoolboy one, two, three, fucking crowd goes crazy. Babies get thrown up in the air. People are crying. People are going ballistic. And if you look at the match, like you say, it's just every match is just a slight variable on each one. People have essentially watched the same match, but that just that they're waiting for that moment. They're not waiting for a five-star match. They're waiting for that moment. And when that moment happens, it's an amazing feeling and they created an amazing sort of segment in Fallen Star Wrestling. It really worked. One of the top 10 things I've seen in West Lynn. It was an amazing moment. So that's why I love this storyline. It's simple. It's effective. It was just a fusion of everything working together and, and just exploding and just the right chemical compound for everything just to infuse and explode at the right time. It was so well done. Ollie's got a really good platform now. He's elevated like fucking tenfold above what he was a few months back and this is his time now to say right 
that where, where, like you say, when I go on to my next opponent, whether that may be on my next feud, can I run with this character? Not not being such a rush to change things, suddenly become this cool baby face, suddenly become this wicked heel, suddenly no, let's just work on this underdog thing and let's get it going and 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 see how we can work from there. Matt's really got him to a nice level now, and it's Ollie's job to keep himself there. Matt did a really good job and did a huge favor for Ollie and obviously saw something in him. And Ollie did his bit beautifully. It was a really nice moment in Fallen Star Wrestling and a good match too. It was wicked. So we needed a bit of a break after that. So we went into the interval. And then after the interval, we came back for match number four. This is why the show went long. The matches didn't go long. The fucking interval was 37 minutes. 37 minute interval. I fucking, that's, this is why I don't like going on last. I can't keep an eye on this shit. 37 <laughs> minute interval. The show, match wise, was okay. We would have got away by about quarter 10, maybe. It's around about that time. So it probably would have been a longish show. But 10 past 10, no. Fucking interval. Let's keep an eye on that next time. That was why the show was long. Bastard interval. Anyway, continue. Ah, oh, I didn't realise that. Sorry. Bloody hell, the interval went over. The interval needs to learn its time. Well, the fucking interval ain't a match. Let the people get a beer and sit down. That's all. Fuck them. If they're not inside <laughs> by the time the match starts, they'll get in quick. They paid their money. Fuck them. <laughs> all right, so the interval gets buried. Then we come back for match number four. This is a limitless title match. We've got Furio versus the debuting Taylor James. Furio comes down to the ring with his limitless title in hand. He passes the gold over and sits patiently in the corner ready for his next victim. It comes in the form of FSW first-timer Taylor James. The referee shows the prize on offer to both competitors and the match starts off. The two lock up and James takes Furio to the corner and there's a clean break. Taylor tries a few mind games with the champion but Furio cannot be taken off of his game that easy. The pair exchange holds until Furio just doesn't want to do it anymore and just steps out of the ring. Quite unusual by Furio. Usually he's ready for a fight. Furio walks around the ring looking underneath the ring for some reason, grabs a chair and just starts taking out his frustration on the side of the ring. Very odd. After his little wobble, Furio takes James down with the shoulder tackle. James sleeps, leaps, and Furio rolls through. Furio sleeps and leaps, but is taken down with a textbook dropkick by Taylor James. Again, Furio evades to the outside for a bit of thinking time. I hope he's not going to try and beat up the ring again. Taylor spots Furio on the outside, goes for the dive, and jumps through the middle and top ropes, but lands on his feet. He missed Furio, though, which gave the vampire a chance to run James's head into the post on the outside. James has rolled into the ring, and Furo nails a short hurricanrana, running Taylor's head into the canvas. It's not enough to keep James down for the count. After choking Taylor on the ropes, Furo surges outside to get into the face of a fan. Furo's going mental. I don't know what's happening with him tonight. This gives James enough time to recover and meet Furo on the outside. And the pair exchange some stiff chops and shots on the outside before Furo lands a snappy Russian leg sweep on the challenger in the ring. Taylor is sent into the corner and hops up and over, but nobody's there except... There is a vampire standing right behind you, ready to lock in a deadly sleeper. James starts to rouse and gets Furo to the corner. A whip is reversed and Taylor Taylor momentarily slips on the middle rope, but quickly recovers and lands a beautiful spinning European uppercut from the second rope. Taylor is now full of energy and a couple of clotheslines take down the vampire. Furo swings, but James ducks and snaps off a sling blade, taking the vampire down once more. A really nice innovative suplex into the sit-out powerbomb 
Bomb takes Furo down again, but the unkillable vampire forces his shoulders off the mat once more. The wounded vampire retreats to the corner, spotted by James, who runs in for the killer blow, but Furio moves out of the way at the last minute. Furio grabs the head of Taylor and springs off the middle rope with a swinging headlock takedown. This only gets the two count as James remains in the match. Both men look exhausted and begin to chop each other to pieces in the middle. After that exchange, Furio goes for the kick. Taylor ducks and gets behind the vampire. Furio reverses and switches the waist lock, but Taylor James smashes Furio with the elbow and hits the ropes. James ducks one, ducks two, comes back with a running big boot which nearly takes Furo's head off but it's not enough. The next move does though which you can only describe as a half pump handle spinning angle slam. A really cool move that I've not seen before but sadly it's not enough to keep the vampire's shoulders pressed down for the three count. Taylor spots that this is his best chance and he goes for it again but Furo floats over. There's a roll up in the corner. Furo runs into the elbow but then manages to reel off the impaler DDT which rocks James as Taylor is about to ride to his feet. Furio reels back with his panted kung fu kick to the head and knocks out Taylor James and remains the falling star wrestling limitless champion. Now, Jimmy, I'm going to fire this over to you first. What did you reckon to this match, mate? Taylor James, I thought was quite impressive. I, I liked his style. I liked his movement. I liked his look. I think that there was a little bit of, I think it was quite hard because I it went into the match as a baby face. Furio went in as a heel. But I think that because Taylor potentially didn't quite realize how much really the audience don't really don't really care about the move side of things and care more about the character work. I think what happened was is they went in wanting to like him, tried to like him, and then it switched halfway and then they started to cheer Furio. I think that the crowd liked the match and respected the athletic ability of Taylor James, and I liked him and respected the athletic ability of Taylor James. But there was just a bit of a disconnect in terms of the story. It's, the crowd changed it halfway through. And I think that the, then they had to change the match ever so slightly. Maybe it threw them off a touch. Maybe it didn't. Maybe it was just one of, one of those things. I, I have no real problem with the match. I know Furio is trying to do this sort of like, I think he's doing the beating the ring up and hitting the ring with chairs and stuff to, to potentially G up for, for the work that he's going to be doing with Sassy. The sort of the unpredictable Furio type thing that, that's going on, I think seems a bit confusing at the moment, but will make sense eventually in terms of the actual match that you're watching might disconnect you a little bit, but I think it, that sort of thing's going to make sense somewhere down the line. And with Reston, we have to have a story. There has to be reasons. Things have to be kept interesting. Sometimes things start off a little bit cold and then people start to warm up to it and see what the outcome of someone's actions are towards the end. But I think the main thing with this match is I was impressed with Taylor James. I would use him again in a heartbeat. Um, I'd probably use him as a heel in future. But again, Wrestling Furio, who's his tweener, and because of lack of vocals, if you're Wrestling Furio, the person who's wrestling him has got to overcompensate for lack of vocals. So you've got to be a really mean heel or a really fucking kissing babies, jumping up in the air, doing backflips kind of baby face. And Taylor James wasn't playing it like that. I just think that they lost faith in him as a baby face. They recognize Furio. They know Furio. They've seen him for years. They like him. Even when Furio was cheating a bit, after a while, they got into it because the, the, Taylor didn't quite give him enough to chew on, as I like to say. But I also think it was a bit of a difficult position for him because you, you wrestle a good guy or you wrestle a bad guy. There's not too many people to wrestle a Furio. We can all wrestle him because we know 
what he's like. We've seen his character develop and we knew Furio before he was Furio. So we get the concept. But for someone who doesn't get the concept, I should imagine it could be quite a hard task. And that's something that I learned when booking the match, really, or watching the match back. It was like, I probably wasn't the best person to put him on with because you need someone who understands Furio's character and his style to be able to work with him and get the best out of him because it wasn't a bad match. It just didn't have too much of a, uh, a connect with the audience because they didn't have enough to cheer cheer for. They didn't know who the, the baby face was. And you know what Kings Lynn fans are like. They're quite loyal to to our lads. I should have probably just put him Furo on with a with an absolute white meat baby face, one of our guys, or put him on with a total complete asshole of a heel, which then could have got Furo over. In, in essence, I probably should have just gone with, with a baby face route, really. So that's what I think. I don't think anything was bad. I, I thought he did some amazing moves. Taylor Jones, I thought he moved well. Furio's doing his shit, getting ready for Sassy. He's becoming trying to become a little bit more interesting and a little bit more volatile and act a little bit more weird, which is well within his rights as he's a vampire. I don't know if I'm making sense, but I just think that's why the crowd turned on the match a little bit. Not that they turned on the match. They just switched who they liked and didn't like. They didn't think the match was shit. In fact, it got it got some good feedback from the crowds. They liked the match. They liked Taylor James. I just don't think they knew what to make of him. I think if there was any feedback to be given to Taylor James for that one, it's just listen to the crowd and just go with what they want. Do you know what I mean? If they're not cheering the place down, then try harder to make them cheer. And then if you can't get them to cheer, try harder. And if they're not buying it, fuck it, turn villain and just go mental. Do you know what I mean? Give them what they want in the end. You know what I mean? Just go with total villain and, and fucking go mental on Furio. And Furio will get it. He will understand because it's, I don't know if that's, I'm just oversimplifying things, but I suppose that takes someone with quite a lot of experience and quite a lot of confidence to do that. It was his first time on a new show in front of a new crowd with a new promoter. He probably just wants to do as he's told. But again, you do what that crowd want you to do at the end of the day. And uh, I think they just either wanted him to be really good or really bad. And he was just sort of Taylor James. And he did well. And he was good. And I liked him. And I'd use him again. But I'd definitely book him differently. Yeah, it's weird, this match. It was arguably one of the quieter matches here at West Lynn, but I don't really know why. There's there's two sort of excellent athletes in there doing the thing, busting out a really nice little match, but I don't know, for some reason, the audience were just not buying what Furo and James were selling. And I think there's a, there, there is a thing with the Falling Star Wrestling audience. I think you alluded to it there, Jim. Like, they're very loyal to the FSW guys. They don't really like to cheer newcomers. I, I don't know why. It's always good to see somebody new come in. Like, Taylor James got a great look, got quite a unique look. He can clearly go. But going back to Ryan Curran early on, he had the advantage of going out as a heel and just embracing it and going against the wrestler that the Falling Star Wrestling audience love. Unfortunately, Taylor James didn't have that luxury. He get, he definitely gave it his best shot. And that's what you can ask for when a new wrestler comes into a territory. But it, yeah, they, they just weren't buying what he was selling. And I'm pretty sure if he were come, to come back to Falling Star Wrestling again and go up against maybe, don't know, somebody like a really established heel, someone like a Jaden Scar, I think he would get a really good reaction and maybe use this match as like a, a learning curve to be like, oh, so it's Falling Star. They're not like a progress wrestler show where I have to do kind of flips and moves and cool counters and twisty moves. All I have to do is go out there and get people to clap along and cheer and and, and be a, a good baby face to go up against this heel. You, you learn from these things. And I think he would get a good reaction if he went up against somebody like Jaden Scar. But against Furio, who's 
somewhere in the middle. That's kind of unfortunate, really. But I did like the match from a technical standpoint, and I think it had a really nice flow to it. But I think it was just one of those matches that I, I guess the crowd and me couldn't really sink their teeth into. Like, it didn't really have much of a story to really get into, to really kind of dig your toes into. But as a wrestling bout, as a, as a competition-based match, it was really back and forth with some nice moments that went hard, some moments that went fast, some moments where you could breathe as well. But I don't know. It was just in the grand but, scheme but, of all well, the matches. Also, also, just, just, just sorry, sorry to interrupt. But also, just to bear in mind us, where they're also at a disadvantage, they just seem probably one of the most emotionally charged matches in FSW history with Ollie and Matt, with probably one of the best finishes that we've seen in a long time, where they all literally jumped out of their seats and they just had a 73 minute interval. It probably <laughs> took them a little while to get back into it. <laughs> so you've got to bear in mind, it's not just the match sometimes, it's the situation and the environment and what's gone on before. It, it, it could have had as much to do with that as the match. Yeah, that bloody interval, mate. Well, fucking interval. What a heel that interval was. Interval needs to do the job next time, mate. It does, yeah. <laughs> We're 12-minute intervals next time. And if you don't get your beer in that time, you can fucking... You can go up... You can, you can fight through the wrestlers to get it. <laughs> awesome stuff. Uh, yeah, just to finish off, yeah. I like the match. I thought it was kind of cool. I like Firo as this is mad character i liked it when he was beating up the ring i thought it was kind of interesting i loved it when he just spotted a fan and ran out there and started staring them down i thought that was cool i think my gut still says that furio should use the impaler ddt as his finisher rather than that kick to the head i think it's just a bit more of an impactful move provides that big moment for the end that big loud bump and the visual of the other wrestler being dumped on his head and face but of course furio he's the kung fu vampire so he still needs to do those cool kicks and stuff but maybe he could do the kick to the head and then boom, follows it up with the big Impaler DDT. But that's just my kind of thoughts there because I like the way he does the Impaler DDT. I think it really works. I think it's a great move. I really want it for myself, but it's his move. So you can have it, Furia. It's fine. <laughs> uh, exactly. And like you say, Taylor James against Jaden Scar. I think I would have booked that match if Jaden was around, to be honest with you. If when he would have walked in and I'd have seen him and seen physically what it was like, I, I think I would have said that would probably be a better suited match. But Jaden wasn't around, so that was the match we did. And like you said, technically, there was nothing wrong with it. It was just, yeah, it's just a hard sell for the crowd at that particular moment. Not a problem. Still a good match. And it still was in line with the quality of the show. So I was pleased with it. Definitely. Then we have match number five. This was an Academy Challenge match. We've got Nix versus Sophie Williamson and much like Ollie versus Matt. This has some very similar inclinations. Got the young upstart trying to get a win over a wily and experienced veteran. And like Ollie and Matt, it's been a very one-sided affair up until now. The match kicks off and Sophie knows that she probably needs to wrap this one up pretty sharpish. So right after the bell, Sophie tries to grab the old schoolgirl pin on Nix, but Nix is way too experienced to be caught by that but it's a good start Nix quickly slows the pace down and grabs a front chancery and then wails in the back of the trainee softening her up for later on the audience they're firmly behind Sophie and Nix takes time to mock them as they try to rally behind Sophie Nix charges to the corner but Sophie quickly evades and comes back with a few rapid fire corner attacks the last attempt misses and Nix goes back to the beatdown mode smashing Sophie's face into the bottom turnbuckle Nix tries to end things 
with Eat Defeat, but Sophie's seen this one before and blocks the attempt. So Nyx goes after the legs and ankles of Sophie and starts to stomp her into the ground. Nyx then locks in the Indian Deathlock, twisting those legs up whilst also grabbing the neck. This submission really puts Sophie in a poor predicament. And unfortunately, the young Academy member has no choice but to tap out. And I thought this was another nice little outing by Nyx and Sophie. I like that they're mixing things up, not doing the same things in the same match over and over. And I think that works out quite well, especially because we get a lot of the same fans at Westlin. So if they just keep doing the same spots, it might become boring for the crowd a little bit quickly. But luckily enough, this match never really got time to be boring because Nyx got the job done in some swift time and submitted Sophie. And I think at this point in the evening, it was nearing towards 9.15, 9.20 kind of time. Time. We still had the main event match to go, so Nix and Sophie did us, the audience, and the show a bit of a favour by going a little bit shorter. But that goddamn bloody interval, Jim, uh, whew, whew, keeps coming back Mother. to haunt us, doesn't it? Motherfucking interval. Stop talking about that interval. I'm getting hot. I'm getting hot. <laughs> it's, uh, but no, the match was good. It, it's it, it, Again, it's about experience. It's a tough spot to be on the card. You're right, time was running a bit long. The, the show was running a bit long. Keep it short and concise. I think looking at the match I, and from a little bit of feedback from Ash, you get the sense that Sophie might have been a little bit more overwhelmed than she normally was because I think the audience were a bit hotter and it was a bit busier. So maybe there was a little bit of like just needing to work in time on that sort of presence there because Ash is obviously very good when it comes to her in-ring presence and her sort of theatrics and the Nick's character is very well defined. Sophie's isn't, which is to be expected. She hasn't been doing it for very long. But still, when you're in the ring, you need to look like a wrestler. And that's something that we continue to work on with Sophie. And, and I think she'll get there. But the fact she's out there doing it, hitting her marks and being able to even to hang with Nix at, 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 that sort of, at that sort of level is a testament to her. So fair play. It did the job that it was meant to do. It's just about having that presence. Because even with Ollie and Matt, you look at it like Ollie's never going to beat Matt. But he looks like a wrestler. He looks like an athlete. Looks like he belongs in there. But... He ain't going to be Matt because Matt's been in there for well over 20 years and he's built like a shithouse door and he, when he punches you, it looks like he's trying to fucking slacken all your teeth. You get the sense that you're up against a real force, but it doesn't mean that you're any less of a, of a wrestler. When you look at Sophie sometimes, it's like, oh shit, she looks like she's still a trainee. And that's fair enough because she still is in a sense. But when she's in that ring in front of people putting on a show, wrestling is a work and sometimes you have to work and pretend a lot of things. And sometimes... You have to pretend you know what you're doing, even if you don't. And bullshitting will get you a long way in life. So standing in that ring and looking like you belong there will go a hell of a long way and make her matches a hell of a lot more believable and get the crowd a lot more fired up when she wrestles whoever she's going to wrestle because she'll look like that she wants to be there, she belongs to be there, and she's ready for a fight. If we can work on that bit with Sophie, I think that, that she'll be ready to start wrestling other young ladies and being involved in more than she is. But... We just needed to get her looking like she's ready to go. Yeah, exactly. And this match was probably the perfect place on the card. It was fifth in between this kind of match between Furio and Taylor James. We just had the Ollie and Matt stuff leading into the main event. That They went out there, they got the job done, they did it in a swift amount of time. And... I can't really say fairer than that. Like, there's not really much to kind of discuss about it. It's just another opportunity for Nix to get in the ring and another opportunity for Sophie to get in there and just really show how how well she's progressing through the Falling Star Wrestling Academy, right? Definitely, definitely. It's always proud to have people like Sophie and all the guys who, who train with the Academy. It's always such a 
fulfilling feeling to see them out there in the ring doing what they've always dreamed of doing. And it's these matches, obviously it's nerve wracking for me as a coach and for Furio as a coach and for Jack and who coaches as well. Like we, we want them to do well and there's always a lot of feedback to give. But the main feeling I feel when I see these things is pride for the fact that they're, they've actually got the guts to go out there and do it and they're representing Fallen Star Wrestling in a good way. It's a good feeling. And we've got a very healthy academy at the moment with a lot of young up-and-comers and but that doesn't mean so we don't want more so if you're ever thinking of uh, becoming a professional wrestler look up the falling star wrestling academy and join today excellent stuff are you ready for the main event jim let's go all righty so match number six is a falling star wrestling tag team title match the time for george rashwood to show up or to hand over those titles is upon us the disaster artists make their way down to the ring. We're excited either because we're going to get a match and get the titles, or at least we know that the sound may no longer have them if Rashwood fails to show up. The music of the sound plays throughout the Westland Sports and Social Club, but there's no Rashwood to be seen. Bobby Adams comes out of the curtain holding both tag team title belts. He looks sad and dejected, so maybe... He needs to come into the ring and hand them over. Bobby circles the ring, jumps into the ring, and simply holds the titles in front of us. Out from nowhere, a wild Rashwood appears with a steel chair and begins to go to town on us. Firstly, smashing me in my previously injured arm and shoulder. Then Jimmy gets one in the midsection and then one across the back. Rashwood then grabs a microphone and asks us whether he thought he was that stupid to let the sound just hand over those titles. Rashwood says the match has got to happen tonight. So let's ring the bell and get the match underway because, well, he hasn't got all night. The match starts with me in the ring and Bobby Adams goes directly for my arm and shoulder. The sound starting very strong with a strategy, tagging in and out, targeting my left shoulder, bending it in all sorts of different direction. Rashwood hops off the second with an axe handle smash, not to be outdone. Adams copies his mate. Rashwood has another go, but this time I take the head of Adams and run it directly into Rashwood's nether region. I then grab Rashwood from the second and land a spinning front suplex from the middle and then try to make my way over to Jimmy in the other the corner who's just got back onto the apron ready for the tag unfortunately this doesn't happen as the sound cut the ring in half stopping me from making uh, any movements towards Jimmy on the other side Bobby pops me into the sounds corner and comes in for the attack but I put up the boot and he eats it Rashwood gets an elbow for his troubles too and now it's time to make the tag now so I charge towards Jimmy but I'm scooped up by Adams who pushes me back into his corner so I try to go low this time but Adams just flips over the top of me with a sunset flip. I'm inches away from getting the tag, but not quite there. So I roll backwards, land on my feet, land a front drop kick right into Bobby Adams's face. And this creates enough separation, but still the submission specialist Bobby Adams can't let go. He grabs my ankle and hoists in the ankle lock. I'm getting there. I'm trying to get to Jim. I managed to get to one leg and with the good leg, pop around and kick Bobby Adams in the head with an enziguri. Adams breaks the hold and I leap towards Jimmy for the hot tag. In comes Jimmy like a house on fire. Line, line, slam. And then the German suplex. Adams stalks behind, but Jim has eyes in the back of his head and meets Adams with the kick to the gut and goes for the star KO, the cutter, but it's blocked. Adams pushes Jimmy into Rashwood, who was ready with a star KO of his own. 
and as quick as a flash, Jimmy has been put into his place by the incredible work of the sound. Rashwood pulls out all the usual tricks, snapmare, kick, the running back senton. Adams comes in with a barrage of punches to the gut. Jimmy tries to mount a comeback, but Adams is too quick and slips Jimmy into an ankle lock as well. Just as Star is about to make it to the ropes, Adams pulls Jimmy back into the middle of the ring. Jimmy, with so much pain on his face, looking to get to that bottom rope, the audience start rallying behind Jimmy, who is crawling and crawling. Eventually, he does get to the bottom rope, so the sound tried to work on Jimmy as a team, double send in, but Jimmy is two steps ahead and nails the double DDT, and both members of the sound are down. The tag is made. In I come. Clothesline for Rashwood, same for Adams. Back elbow for Rashwood, same for Adams. Both men are in opposite corners, so each of them get a running clothesline in the corner. Adams gets the bulldog, and Rashwood again takes the front sit-out suplex. This time, he lands on top of his partner, Bobby Adams. Rashwood is then hoisted onto my shoulders, looking for the TKO, but the greasy rock star slips down the back, rolls me up, and tries for the kick to the head to finish things off, but I catch the boot and then drive his head into my knee. I then complete the TKO and slide into the cover. One... Two, Bobby Adams was there just in the nick of time to help break up the cover, though. In the melee, Jimmy goes for the spear on Bobby Adams, but Bobby moves out of the way, and unfortunately, the referee just so happened to be where Jimmy was aiming for, so the referee gets wiped out. Jimmy gets his back realigned with a backstabber. I get low blowed and then smashed with the high low with the assisted belt shot. Rashwood pulls the referee into position and jumps on for the cover. One. Two, no, just in time, Jimmy dives to break up the pinfall attempt and keeps the disaster artist in the game for his troubles. Jimmy gets another backcracker by Adams. Adams then pulls down the knee pad and tries to end Jimmy Starr. But with a burst of energy, Jim pops up with a spear and takes Adams out of the match. Rashwood, meanwhile, aims for the running knee, but Jimmy sidesteps, grabs Rashwood around the waist. I pop up, hit the code breaker as George Rashwood's body plunges into my knees. Jimmy Starr pulls the torso of Rashwood backwards over his head and slams Rashwood with a German suplex. Jimmy basically pulls me into the cover and the referee slowly counts. One, two, three. There we have it. And new Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team Champions, the Disaster Artists. After two plus years of teaming together, many opportunities taken away from us and many hoops jumped through. We finally did it and captured the Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team titles. Jimmy and I embrace in the middle of the ring and I drape the tag title over him. He does the same to me. We embrace. We couldn't be happier. In the meantime, it would seem that Rashwood and Adams are having some choice words with each other. Adams tries to console Rashwood, but he's having none of it and keeps pushing Bobby back until Adams gets the message and pushes over his tag team partner. Adams then takes the shirt with the Sounds logo over it and just throws it at Rashwood and leaves the ring. So in one night, the disaster artists seem to have taken everything from the sound, their smug looks, their tag team titles, and possibly even their friendship. But the party wasn't going to start just yet. As soon as Jimmy and I breathe in the victory, the music of the NLP hits and out come Mitch Basher and Crowley. Mitch Basher believes that they are the greatest tag team in Falling Star Wrestling history and want to prove it to us. 
Oh, they feel like they were never given a rematch for the titles after Lynn Sport last year, so they're going to cash in that chance at the next West Lynn show. Basher says that it's all or nothing for the NLP. If the NLP cannot capture the gold next time we're back at West Lynn, they will split up for a whole year. That's how confident they are in winning the titles back at the next show. Now, Jimmy, I need to catch my breath after running through that, but... Let me know your thoughts on this Falling Star Wrestling Tag Team title match where we won the titles, baby! I know, I know, I know. And let me just say <laughs> that two years, it's been a journey. It's been an experience. You're right. We have been cheated out of a lot of opportunities. We've been in a lot of big matches. We've not been able to quite get it done. We've had our off days. We've had our great days. But I think that on that particular night, I don't think there was a team in Falling Star Wrestling that could touch us. And there was, it was an amazing feeling to be able to win the belts with with not only probably one of the the nicest guys in Fallen Star Wrestling, one of the greatest wrestlers in Fallen Star Wrestling, but my best friend in Fallen Star Wrestling, PVC. It was an absolutely amazing experience. And wrestling, you could we could do it on the Lynn Sports, we could do it on the bigger shows, but doing it on Wrestling on that night with that atmosphere, nothing like it. And it, it was really difficult to describe. In Fallen Star Wrestling, I've won every title, and this is actually I think my second tag team title reign and this particular run has been the one of the funnest times i've had in professional wrestling in my life and i've done quite a lot of things i've been quite lucky in my career but this has been really good fun so i want to reiterate and just encapsulate that before i start it really has been cool the match um itself i thought that 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 we did a really good job i mean just you explaining it there there was a lot going on in that match we did not stop but it didn't seem like it was rushed. It wasn't like we were scrapping about trying to get to the next thing as quick as possible. Everything was completed. Everything was done for a purpose. Everything was fought out well. There are a lot of cool different transitions. Even stuff like you you trying to reach for the tag on, on Bobby Adams' shoulders or whatever and, and the sunset flip spot where you're trying to reach for the tag. We really did get to the point where we just were fingertips away and we milked it and just stuff like that, which quite often in a tag match is just done scrappily and there's not a lot of emphasis put on someone actively trying to get to their tag team partner when they're in trouble and you guys did that really well really good drama there really good drama with the ankle lock spot I, I think and some really good false finishes not just in terms of the moves but we had a it was that the way you explain the end there there's a lot going on but I never felt that it was messy I felt that everything had its place the match even though it was frantic it's still built we didn't really have a shine. We knew that we were running low on time and we wanted to start it a little bit different anyway. And most of it was your guys' concept. I came up with a few little spots, but to be fair, I, I had very little to do with actually the, the structure of this match. I came up with a few little spots and suggestions, maybe to fine tune it, but this was, you know, you and Bobby, I think, and, and George as well. You guys came up with the, the bulk of this stuff. I was just along for the ride, but it, it works really well. I don't think that there was anything that was done that shouldn't have been done i think that, that everything looked pretty good or if not very good there wasn't any real botches but then you know, i'm not i don't really care about botches there's some good little improvised moments good little nuances the crowd were hot from start to finish and when we won the fucking roof blew off the place i i don't think i mean there's better matches and we've probably had better matches and we probably will have better matches but i think that was the perfect match at the perfect time, a really good main event. And I don't think the fans expected to see us to win on that night because they don't really see many title changes at Wesleyan. So it was a really big surprise for people. 
And I was just surprised that because obviously we've been going for two years and we haven't won the titles and we've had quite a lot of opportunities. Sometimes you feel like you're running out of steam a little bit occasionally and you need to do something to keep people interested. But I think the sound of good enough heels and we're good enough baby faces for people to still have that interest in us winning the titles. And because it's been such a battle for us, we have jumped through so many hoops and the crowd have been with us all the way. I think it was a really nice moment to share with that crowd and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Other things that I might have changed, I don't know if there were. I think there were things that I, me personally, I would have liked to have done a bit better for my, just for me. But also physically, we both really tried to get in shape. We've both lost a lot of weight. We're moving around a, li- a lot better. And just, it, it, it's it's the whole story. It's everything. It's everything that all just lumps into one. And this is a, a really good chapter in the sound versus the, the TDR. I'm sure there'll be more somewhere down the line. If if the sound can actually fucking stay together, I don't know what's happening there, but what, what I'm sure we'll find out. Walls open. But it just was, it seemed like a really good, significant moment. And I think it's something that people will remember from the Westland shows. Because it's, again, you don't, you very rarely see those title changes happen in West End and they got to see it that night and uh, they thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved it. How did you feel about it? Well, I mean, there's a lot to kind of break down about this match and even after the match as well. I think, first of all, uh, no matter really what happened in the match in terms of moves and selling and stuff, like we had the massive advantage of having heat and a story that was built around this match. And well, the show really, obviously we kind of opened up the show, sowed in those seeds and, you know, whatever we say about George Rashwood not showing up to shows and stuff like that. But that actually really helped because it, I think a lot of people thought maybe he wasn't actually going to show up and there was going to be this big disappointing end where they handed over the titles. And then when he popped out of the corner and started attacking us with a chair, I think that just kind of instantly energized people. And that's another thing that sort of added to the story. So I think no matter what we did in the middle of the ring, that was irrelevant, really. It didn't matter if we did sweet inziguris or you hit the spear or whatever and things like that. It was just, we kind of had them from the beginning. And then when we won, we had them at the end. And then we just kind of continued the story on there. It's not like we we did bad stuff in the middle of the ring either. We actually went out there and tried to do a really cool, coherent match. And you mentioned there, Jim, about like us not really having a shine. I mean, the shine really was us winning the titles, wasn't it? We didn't really need to go out there and have a massive shine to show that we're one of the greater tag teams. We needed to show the sound being these dastardly guys who are going to come up. They're going to attack us from behind. And then we're going to fight from the bottom. Again, a little bit like Matt and Ollie, we're the underdog in this story. We're fighting from the bottom. We're trying to get up and we get over. And yeah, the reaction at the end was just... It was just really cool. Like the match in itself, us winning the titles, followed by that sort of little lovers quarrel between the sound. That was cool. And then just to top it all off as well, we got challenged by the NLP at the next Whistling Show. So it feels like it was a lot and it could have easily gone very wrong. But like you said, and I agree as well, I think we did all right, mate. And it's been a while since the disaster artists have gone out there and have had a pretty good match with a team that can go. And even though Rashford's been AWOL for a while, I don't think he's lost a step. I think he came and slotted himself in and it felt good to be part of a story that had a nice bit of build that has gone on for the last couple of months. And it probably went on a little bit too long because I got injured and things like that. But we had a cool little built-in story with the tag team tournament. We got the sound and then we kind of switched gears a little bit with Rashwood being AWOL. That factored into it. And it sort of made all of that time, all of that sweat and effort 
really worth it in the end. And I, I think personally, from my standpoint, uh, I think this was my sort of best physical performance I've had kind of in the ring since coming back from my shoulder injury. Having that match with Crowley at Sunset and James, I think really helped build my confidence. And I didn't really think about my arm and shoulder too much throughout the match, even if Bobby Adams was sort of pulling it and twisting it in many different directions. And I think the only negative thing I would have about the match would probably be with the positioning of the ref bump. But I, I'm not going to put that on the referee at all. It was just how it ended up and I think like the last minute change because Ash was going to be the referee unfortunately he hurt himself had to pop to the hospital so Andy stepped in did a great job the final count was a little slower than we would have wanted but again it's like a small positional thing got in the way when we did the burial on Rashwood I think but Rashwood basically took a German suplex on top of Andy Stone so it, when you look at it like that it makes sense that the referee would be down for that cover as well and wouldn't jump up and pop up and do the one two three so he was looking hurt because he probably was. He just had a Rashwood land on him. And then he counted the three, which was slow. And it felt really slow. It felt like a slow motion to me as I'm kind of in the cover. But I think it made it all the better because the audience seemed genuinely delighted that the Disaster Arts won the tag team titles from the sound. And I think it's a nice little mix up within the tag team division, which I think is much needed. I, I think it was the right time. It was the right, definitely the right place to do it. I don't know how long our reign's going to go on for. I, I don't know. There is a massive chance that we could drop them to the NLP at the next Wesleyan show. I mean, Basham made it very clear that he's willing to put up everything on the line to get those tag team titles back. Uh, if they don't win, they're going to split up. So that's a major story there. So it's going to be nice going into that show with a big story to build up. So, I mean, whatever happens on the 16th of September... I think you're either going to see brand new tag team champions or you're going to see one of the best tag teams in Falling Star Wrestling and in the country possibly split up. So that's not a show you can miss either. And I don't know what's going to go on with the sound. Like they didn't seem on the same page at the end of the match. Uh, and at the end of the next couple of shows, I think we could have run a, a little bit roughshod over the, the tag team division because we might have caused the demise of the sound there's a chance that we could split up the NLP. That's a proper mix up in the tag division. Come to think of it after the 16th, we're probably not going to have anyone to work. Are we? Uh, we might, might not be very popular but if, if we keep fucking getting rid of everyone's favorite wrestlers, but you sort of hit the nail on the head a second ago over the past few months, definitely with injuries and just waiting for Rashwood to be around and just other storylines going on we've had that sort of holding place on the card. So we've done a lot of three ways. We've wrestled a lot of the guys from the academy and whatnot. And it's been fun. And obviously, whereas Rashwood hasn't been around to work with Bobby, Bobby's had quite a lot of single stuff to do. We've been working with up and coming teams, trying to help them tune them up. And also just work with anyone really, just to keep ourselves sharp. But we've stuck together. We've worked hard and we always try and go out there and do the best we can. We're, you're obviously at a bit of a disadvantage in the fact that I'm 200 years old and I can't move. We're still going out there and you're right. It was nice to go out there and put on a kick-ass match and have everyone completely glued to it. That's a really good experience to know, for me even, that I can still be involved in a match like that and do my part. That's a big thing for me because as you get older, you do lose your confidence. As you get more injured, you do lose your confidence. So you're in a lot of pain when you do these things. The main aim is to keep yourself safe, but it's also to, to entertain the crowd. And I know I can go out there and entertain the crowd. I know we can do that. But sometimes you can feel, well, it's a bit cheap because I'm shouting a lot and milking the most I possibly can out of one thing. Whereas that's cool and there's an art to that. But sometimes you just want to go out there and bust out and have a cool match. And I think that's what we did there. I mean, we didn't do anything insane, but it was nonstop. It was physical. It was fast. 
there was a good story involved. I think if there's one thing that I could have changed is necessarily the match. I think because it was just running on for so long. I wish we'd have done that NLP promo somewhere else or maybe done it online or built it up in another way. I think we could have still had the sort of same sort of impact with it because a lot of people were wandering out the door as they were cutting the promo. So I think that, that if we'd have done that, maybe it will soaken or, or worked our way to figure it out in there or with Matt Harrison doing some amazing stuff on the Facebook website, maybe he could have done something or they could have cut a promo beforehand. I just think we're trying to attract people back, but people need to get out the door because they got cabs waiting and people waiting for lifts and they're busting for a piss or whatever it is. They need to get home. It's quarter past 10, kids need to go to bed. The last thing they need is another promo. It was what it was. I don't think it made any real difference to the match and the fact that people were pleased that we won. Yeah, it was really good fun. And I think that it'll be interesting. Come Wolfsoken, make sure you come at Wolfsoken and see what's going on this Saturday, the 26th. Um, of August at the Wolves Open Village Hall, the the Sound are apparently going to confront each other and probably maybe kiss and make up, maybe slap each other and walk away. We don't know. All that remains to be seen. We'll definitely be there, ready to fight anyone, anywhere, anytime. I want us, and I'm sure you want us to be fighting tag team champions. We'll do whatever we need to do. I know we've probably got to put a title shot on hold because we promised the NLP that we would wrestle them for the titles at Westland. So we need to have the titles at Westland. So I don't know how that's going to work, but it will definitely be an action at Wolfsoken and it will definitely be an amazing show. So guys, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you for supporting us, not just the disaster artists, but the whole of Fallen Star Wrestling. As I say at the end of every podcast, it's you guys who keep us going. We've obviously got Linsport coming up on October the 21st. That's our big show titled now Burning Hearts. We've even got a title for it, Burning Hearts. Now, we've got some amazing plans for that things working out things in our heads as to how we can make this the best Linsport show ever and anyone who was at the last show Jesus Christ they, they know the, the quality of the show that we put out on that night how are we going to beat it we don't know but we're going to try our absolute hardest but we've got a few more stops on the way Walsoken first and then we're on to West Lynn in September to wrestle the NLP so we've got a couple of busy months coming up FSW has got a couple of busy months coming up Guys, just be there. Keep supporting us. Keep giving us your all and we'll give you our all. So thank you very much for coming. Thank you for supporting Fallen Star Wrestling and thank you very much for your continued support. I completely echo Jimmy's statements as well. Thank you so much for supporting Falling Star Wrestling at our live shows, on social media, and here on this podcast. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you also to Jimmy Starr, my gracious co-host and fellow tag team champion. How good does that sound? If you can't tell, I'm absolutely over the moon. But you know what? It could all be over by the time we finish our next live show, which takes place at the West Lynn Sports and Social Club in Kings Lynn, Fight Night, Road to Lynn Sport. Saturday, 16th of September, Falling Star Wrestling returns to its spiritual home and the gauntlet has been laid down. It's all or nothing for the NLP. Basher and Crowley have put it out there. If they win the tag team title match against us on the 16th, they leave as tag team champions. However, if they lose, they lose it all. They go home without those title belts and they also go their separate ways. They will split up for a year, so no more NLP. Whatever happens, it's gonna be massive, so make sure you save the date. Saturday, 16th of September, West Lynn. Book it off work, cancel your plans, get a babysitter, make sure you either say hello to new tag team champions or farewell to the NLP. 
And then we're gearing up for our biggest show of the year. It's Linsport, the big one. This year, it promises to be even better than any years before. Falling Star Wrestling presents Burning Hearts at Linsport. Saturday, 21st of October, a live Linsport in Kings Lynn. It's going to be off the chain. For more information on any Falling Star Wrestling live events, simply visit Falling Star Wrestling on Facebook and Instagram. It's at Falling Star Wrestling. we got the scoop on there and you'll find any match announcements, special guests and how to book tickets right over there. We'll also be chatting about Linsport a lot on the Falling Star Wrestling podcast, so please follow along on your preferred podcast player and keep up to date with everything Falling Star Wrestling. So that's your lot for today. I'm going to go stare at my title belt again and keep it close because you never know how long it's going to last. We'll be reviewing and talking about the Walsoken show on the next episode. So we'll catch you next time for another edition of the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs>